all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. I think I've gotten you every single time, like for well, a lately, stretch now. Well, lately, you're, you're just doing ones that really come out of nowhere. So <laughs> they are catching me off guard, and that, they're, they're quite different from the ones you used to do. That is the, the point, yes. after all. Yes, it is. Um, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. You can email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. I'm pretty sure last time I just said all bad things at gmail.com, which is not us. <laughs> so no, if, it is not. if you did email us and I haven't responded, that's why. It's all bad things pod yeah, we're not, at gmail. Not sure who that is, but it's not us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was taken. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Anyway. Um what you drinking tonight? I am drinking a beer called Flash Gordon. <laughs> spelled G O U R D-O-N, from yes. 26 Acres Brewery in Concord, North Carolina. Which is outside of Charlotte, Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is very good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very spicy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, pumpkin spice is spicy. Yes. But not not too much. No. No, it's pretty good. Um, it, that's a thing in, uh, for anyone who's a murderino, I know we have a few murderinos who listen. Uh, the October is what they call squad gourds season in oh, okay. uh, <laughs> my favorite murder it's like squad goals sure. except squad gourds yeah anyway so that's where the gordon comes from which is very cute i am drinking a good old reliable the coco bolo brown actually that's not the oh, name yeah. that i it's coco bolo coconut brown okay so what's the name of it with chocolate or is that really just yeah coco bolo coconut brown okay because so, usually they have like specific names, like they have like a the wax wax surfer s- sniffer or whatever. <laughs> I think it is surfer. wax. I think it is wax surfer. So the wax, wax sniffer. sniffer. Yeah, that would that probably sound right. That would probably you could probably only do so much of that because your nose would just get clogged up. Well, or fall off. <laughs> yeah, that too. That's huffing. I'm pretty sure that's very bad for you. Um, at least they told us this during Dare. Somebody can tell me if this is correct, because there's it's a lot not, of misinformation It's most there. likely a lie, but let's see what it is. Maybe Emily knows. Um, they used to tell us, anyway, that, like, huffing is something that you could do a thousand times and not die from, or, like, one time you could do it and it just takes you out. Like, you just die. I I honestly don't I know. I imagine it is depends gonna, on what you're huffing. It's just a terrible I'm going to imagine... Uh, somebody trying it once and dying has happened like five times, but they're like, "That's good enough. We'll run with that." Uh, we'll we'll run with that in yeah. the dare curriculum, yeah. maybe. I don't know, <clears throat> but it's just it is a terrible and, idea to sniff that stuff. <laughs> and if you were one of those five people, uh, I'm sorry, but well, you're you know, not listening, so it doesn't matter. Well, that and um, <laughs> you know, I I do believe uh, in Darwinism. So well, you know. Oh, so I did bring this up to you. How do you feel about us trying not to curse in these episodes? I will try. That is okay. all I can guarantee. All right. I will try so, to be mindful of what I say. Okay. For possibly the first time. So <laughs> So I'll tell you what. If you are hearing me saying that this series of episodes on Grenfell Towers, because I teased this last mm-hmm. week. So we all know that this Our is what the topic is. Our first ever tease. Yes. Um, 
I, if if you you are hearing this, this means we were successful and or edited out our curse words because I wanted this to be a topic that both people who were not keen on us swearing all the time, hopefully we haven't sworn already, but I don't anyway, think we have. I don't think so. And although the fact that we have to ask ourselves I if we have know, or not, no, it's so reflexive. <laughs> oh, and by the way, did we curses also include any religious? Uh, blasphemy. Yes, exactly. So, if you're hearing this, this means that this is safe to play for religious people. Not Maybe not politically, but, you know, like, as far as just content. Um, and also children. And Well, I mean, aside from this being a horrible disaster. Uh, but anyway. The reason being, this topic... It's going to be a hard one not to swear on, too. Oh, I bet. Um, this is... This is something... Yeah. This is Well, I mean, I already know the a, gist, a, right? Yeah. And I know a decent amount okay. ab- about and it's it really is uh it will make you go into an effing rage. Okay, well, let's also not try to okay. try not to say. I mean, okay, I just wanted to prove to the audience that I was being mindful okay, of what I said. Okay, very good. I appreciate that. Um But yeah, this is this is a doozy. It's not good. No. I mean, we don't cover any good things on it. If you want to teach your children about capitalism, maybe start here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. Oh yeah. But there there's a lot of there's a lot of there, issues there is. here. There's a lot yes. to unpack. For that reason, this is going to be a multi-parter. I honestly I'm not positive whether this is gonna be two or three yet. Um because this episode we're going to stop right before the fire. We're not even getting to the actual fire today. There is too much important background. And I think enough people have seen and know about the actual fire and maybe not know so much about the, the background. Of, well, if, fair enough, yes. Yeah. And then we're going to cover this the... this is recent. This is just... Very two, recent. Two years ago. Mm-hmm. June, right? Yeah, 17? I'm, yeah, I'll, oh, sorry. I'll intro that. That's I'm okay. Um, but yes. And this happened just as we were getting ready to release our first episode. It did. This happened like That's a month right. before we... we dropped our first episode so we were already in disaster scouting mode i guess i think i remember us both saying oh we're gonna do this we'll one do this someday. one day yeah exactly well, that one day exactly. is here so yes uh, so this is the story of the grenfell tower this is part one so we're gonna do all the background stuff today but that doesn't mean this isn't incredibly important information a lot of this it information is vitally important yes that a lot of this information actually didn't come out until after the fire <laughs> of course but i'm putting it beforehand because it is so important to see what happened ahead of time. So on June 14th, 2017, a massive fire engulfed the Grenfell Tower Council Flats, killing 72 people and injuring dozens more. Now, we have covered so many disasters and with higher body counts, obviously. Mm -hmm. This is such a large... I think what makes this one so mind-boggling is that it was so many people, it was such a mass casualty event in a fire so recently. Yeah. That we're only talking two years ago. And because people saw it happen in real time. Mm-hmm. Because of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Yes. I mean, thousands Let alone of, the news, yeah. Thousands of people had their phones out recording it. And it lasted and it forever. forever. Yeah, it was a long process. I mean, and for all intents and purposes, people were watching people die yeah like uh, inside obviously not literally seeing people 
die in front of them or anything, but that's what was going on in that building. 72 people. I'm honestly surprised it wasn't more than that. I really thought it, it was could like have 100 been, right? something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, real quick, let me name my le- my main sources. There were so many. Lots and lots of sources, and it's just going to be the same next week, too. Um, so, the Grenfell Action Group, which I'm going to get into the Grenfell Action Group. They're actually very pivotal to this story. Constantine Gras, who did some interviews with the architects of Grenfell, and that's... Uh, the website for that is grasart.com, so grasart.com. I'm assuming it's gras, it could be gras, but anyway. The Lancaster West Residents Association, Wikipedia, although that was not necessarily my primary source this time around. The BBC, the University of West England, The Guardian, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, which was huge in this, and I'll get to them, and the Financial Times along with a bunch of other sources that I were a little more secondary. So I believe the Guardian is Glenn Greenwald's um, oh, okay. news outlet. I thought, wait, who am I thinking of who's living in, like, Brazil? That's him. Oh, really? Yeah, He's I think a Guardian? I'm pretty sure. I don't know why I didn't think that. Okay. All right. So I wanted to preface this disaster with a little bit of a preamble. So... Like I said, I don't often do, or we don't often do disasters that are so recent. Probably the closest thing we've done to this is the Humboldt bus crash. Yeah. Which actually got tied up in a neat bow very, I mean, as much as it can be, quote, tied up in a neat bow, but very serendipitously, just as we were recording, Mm -hmm. the uh, bus driver pled guilty. the the trial was over. Right. So the, the gist of all action had been completed. That's yeah, not that's the right. case here. Yeah, there were no loose ends. That is absolutely are, not the case here. There are plenty of loose ends in this story. And so so it's this is not going to be the end of the story. There will be more information um, down the road on this one. And one of our UK listeners on in our Facebook group, with which, by the way, join our Facebook group. I believe it was Hannah. I apologize if it wasn't Hannah, but I think it was. She specifically said that the Grenfell t- Tower fire is still very very fresh and very raw to I'm sure. people living in the area or the UK at large. This was a national tragedy. Yeah. You know, so this is this is big. And uh, probably everybody who witnessed that has yes. PTSD. Yeah, and that's the thing. As always. But, you, but it wasn't like you weren't going to look at it. I mean, you... Right, it was a... Uh, yeah, like one of those can't look away things. Yeah, I mean, we all watched 9-11. Yeah, that's true. You know, so it's... it's yeah. So, as always, we'll try to be thorough and obviously very respectful of those who died and the many, 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 many others affected, traumatized, injured, etc. by this disaster. And it's also for this reason that I'm taking my time telling this story. This could have been done in one episode, but because it's so new... So recent, um, so such a big deal, especially to our friends in the UK. I mean, it's horrible, period. But, you know, especially to being so fresh still to our friends in the UK, I didn't want to cram this episode in. I wanted to take some time to tell this story properly. This is a big deal. People have done a lot of 
excellent investigative work on this. And I wanted to make sure that that all came through. So that's why this is, I fully intended this to be one episode, but once I wrote six pages just before getting to the fire, I'm like, once we you need sent to. out that tweet, everybody knew, okay, this yeah. is going to go two or three. Yeah, this is, this is going to be big. So yeah. And this is, there's a massive rabbit hole of information to get into when you research this. So I just want to take, take the time to research it and take the time to tell the story. So so we're going to start this this disaster by bridging and building from our previous disaster last week, right? When we covered the Ronan Point collapse. And as I said last week, Ronan Point was a prelude of what was to come at Grenfell Tower because of the history of insufficient, to say the least, safety regulations, or like, as you like to say, safety protections, because that's the idea behind regulation, and poor construction methods. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I definitely recommend going back and listening because we dig back quite a bit as far as public housing in the UK and especially in London go. So, but to briefly reiterate, just to summarize. uh And also, um, I'm sure maybe some people who are listening, I mean, we're experiencing a housing crisis in the United States. Affordable housing, at absolutely. The so absolutely. And many we, we just got lucky, but uh, yes. I'm sure yeah, that's th- true. We did. We, we, we really we, did. Let's talk about serendipitous. Like, yeah. it, was com- it was a complete fortunate accident that we got this place when we did. Just bought it the right time, and now it's <laughs> yeah. skyrocketing in value, yeah. which is good news for us, but not good news for anybody no. else who's trying to buy it this time. In fact, the Raleigh areas. People are getting priced out. Not only priced out, but like houses go on the, like they don't even get to being on the market. They're bought cash by investors before anyone can. Almost right away. Yeah. Before they even, Mm -hmm. they'll have these coming soon signs on the realty signs. And and next thing you know, a cash investors or open door, you know, those types of companies have come in and just absolutely undercut everybody, you know, or overcut everybody i guess but enough about our problems <laughs> well i mean it's talking about no the but, but that crisis, but that is know? a link i'm sure there are some american listeners listen to this who are kind of in bad shape when it comes to yeah. where to live absolutely well how to be able to afford to live yes rather. exactly and that's the problem is that we need to remember that housing is actually a human right shelter is a right yeah. and we need to behave as such but of course We got a long ways to go before we get there. Yes. Okay. Anyway. So to briefly reiterate about Ronan Point, remember it was a tower block, a high rise apartment building, you know, to those who may not know what a tower block is, public housing council flat that had been built between 1966 and 1968. And then two months after it had been finished building, an entire corner of 22 stories just absolutely collapsed on themselves after a very small, what should have just been a small gas explosion. Yes, gas explosion sounds terrible, but we're not talking a massive gas explosion. It was actually very small. That really should have only hurt the poor lady, and it did hurt her, um, who's, you know, in whose house this happened, but it ended up killing five people and injuring dozens more. So it and, was... And having a whole section of a building the entire collapse. entire corner. Completely collapse. From, from top to bottom, all the way. And we witnessed what happens when there's a gas leak yesterday. We did. So we were in Durham for um, my sister Sarah, who everybody's met, if you've listened to our back episodes. Yes. Her, in her, near her neighborhood in Durham, 
there was a gas leak at a coffee shop, I believe. And I, yeah, I need to post those pictures there because we took some pictures and this is months later, but it, it she said it looks like a bomb had gone off yeah, in that area. Exactly and it, it still kind of like. looks you like can it. See, you can still see the char marks mm-hmm. from the explosion, the subsequent fire, like all that stuff. Yeah. And sadly, I believe the owner of the coffee shop died think, yeah. he went back in to look to make sure everybody was out is the oh. story i heard yeah oh, okay and then he died and because they knew that there was a gas leak so they were trying to get everybody out mm-hmm. yeah and then i think a firefighter also died so Jeez, it uh, yeah it was yeah. not good yeah no, there, there were deaths associated as plus well. it affected a couple businesses right yeah, next and, to it because it blew out all their right, stuff secondarily but still importantly you know it yeah, it can. It made other buildings get condemned, which means that some businesses ended up getting completely displaced. Mm-hmm. So, and and these are smaller businesses, not like a Walmart or something. So yeah. So anyway, we're we're gonna sort of weave in the aftermath of Ronin Point with the lead up to Grenfell in this episode. There's definitely there's a, there's um, relations. A connection. Yes, exactly. So prior to the disaster of Ronin Point in 1963. A new major redevelopment plan was being drawn up as part of the so-called slum clearance project of public housing. So we we talked about that in the last episode. Again, it's a good episode to listen to to kind of get the background on that. But this particular development was going to displace 3,000 people. And it, it's a known consequence of so-called gentrification <laughs> that people get displaced, right? Especially lower income people. And this new development was going to be called Lancaster West Estate. So the idea was to create a sweeping public housing complex in the royal borough of Kensington and Chelsea, which just sounds lovely. Pip, pip. And it sounds posh and grand. (laughs) Kensington and Chelsea. Did you got the tea on? (laughs) Did you put the kettle on? Did you put the kettle on? (laughs) And now all our British friends have said, okay. I'm listening to something else. <laughs> Do you take sugar? No thanks, Turkish. I'm sweet enough. What's that from? It's from, uh, it's from Snatch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie. Oh. Well, it's, so Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea sounds very grand and posh, and there are actually some pretty high-end neighborhoods there, like one Notting Hill. Oh. I've never seen the movie. Sadly, I have to admit that I have. (laughs) (laughs) Is it as bad as it seems? Like a mid-90s romantic comedy? I don't really remember it. Okay. It was like the first... uh, Anyway, it was like the first serious girlfriend I had when I lived in South Carolina. This is 20-some years ago, folks. I am that old, sadly. (laughs) But yeah, we went to the theater to see it. I honestly don't remember anything Anything. that happened. I just know that I saw it. Okay. Like like the English patient. Oh, did you see the English patient? I never saw it. I remember nothing about it. It was like three hours long. That's probably why you don't remember anything. No, I think it was like two and a half hours. Oh, okay. Which back then was kind of long, but today is... Yeah, pretty no standard kidding. for like a best picture or a marvel movie <laughs> yeah that too but yeah, yeah i i have to admit i have turned in my, my man card for the next uh... <laughs> no <laughs> you know we don't buy into the binaries and expectations of gender so uh so yeah the notting hill i only know from the movie so sorry i'm american i'm not very educated in 
London she's, neighborhoods. She's anti-British is what she's I am saying. not anti-British. <laughs> I love our British friends. I am so sorry you're having to deal with your own Donald you Trump. We your, know what it's yes, like. Yes, we do. We know what it's like. We, we can empathize. Except we've had three years of suffering. You've only had like a month. <laughs> no, it's been... Well, Theresa May was no great shakes. Mm-hmm. She's going to come up in not this episode. But anyway... So apparently not all of it is so very posh, or at least it wasn't back in the 60s, which is why they were trying to clear the so-called slums out of it in the first place. So architectural firm Clifford T. and Gale, helmed by Clifford Weirden, Weirden maybe, and Peter Deakins, were the ones who originally designed the complex. And that was actually kind of unusual, especially for the time that a public housing complex was being designed and contracted by a private architectural firm so it wasn't being done by like city planners or anything it was being done by a private architectural firm so the estate they designed had obviously plenty of housing units that was kind of the point and it included plans for a tower block to be called grenfell tower so this is the first beginnings of it But there's also going to be an office building, shopping center. So kind of what we, at least here in the States, now have been calling mixed-use space, which is very popular here. I don't know if that's the case in most developing or major cities that are growing pretty rapidly. Our area is growing rapidly. I think that's mainly who we got it from, like that that idea, that concept. From British development, maybe? Scandinavian countries. Okay, mixed-use. The idea that there's like shops on the bottom and then well, because it brings in you know it brings in all sorts of different types of people, Mm -hmm. people who have to go to work, Mm -hmm. people who have to go to play, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, And then people and tourists who are like, oh, I want to check that area out. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. yeah, hotels and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yes, they're building a mixed use space just down the road from us. I think I've mentioned that like every episode. (laughs) Yes. Oh, we finally went to Wegmans. Yes, we did. That was an exciting thing. Anyway. <laughs> I believe this hello, is the banter Ab- that nobody likes. Yes, hello Aubrey. We did go to Wegmans. <laughs> we did. Yes, Aubrey did too. So this the the plan, the initial plan of this estate included and by estate it's development. It's not like I don't know, here in the United States when I hear the word estate, I think like a the Biltmore estate, right? It's like a giant house and mansion. But estate, I think, has a slightly different meaning, at least in some contexts in the UK, where it means more like a development. At least it did in this case. So it was going to include decking some roads, which means like double-decker roads. So there would be like an underpass and an overpass. And the idea was the overpass would be for pedestrian traffic and the underpass would be for vehicular traffic. So the plans were completed. Sorry. So I just had to stop twice because we each swore. I cursed first and then you repeated my curses on our second try. Thank you very much. I thought you were just warming up. No. (laughs) (laughs) So the plans are completed in 1964 and presented to all the, you know, the local government authorities that would have to approve it to get the construction started part of the plan included building a new london underground station which london transportation transport for london did not get behind they're like no we're not cool with this so that kind of started putting a wrench in the works and the plans and then other local and borough authorities started to pull out their support for the project so things were not going so well it was like okay here are these great plans and then uh, Transport for London was like, no, don't like that. And then other 
local authorities were starting to say, no, we don't like that either. And by this point, a couple years have gone by and it's 1968. And what happens at Ronan Point? <laughs> so yeah. that just sort of put a, a gigantic absolute dead stop for a bit on everything because nobody was cool with tower blocks for a, a period of time, right? They were like, what happened? This cannot happen again. We, Whatever we do, we can't let this happen again. So Weirden, or Weirden, <laughs> Clifford, <laughs> one of the architects, wasn't really super keen on the tower block anyway, but his was for more architectural reasons. Like he thought they were kind of hideous from an architectural standpoint. I am not an architect, so I don't know. But he just he just didn't like them. So he he was kind of like, okay, well, I'm not a huge fan of the tower block anyway. But the net effect of Ronin Point, as well as all these difficulties with other authorities wasn't the elimination of the tower block, but rather just like a scaled back version of this estate. So the main thing they did was take away the office space in the shopping center. So it was more housing and less mixed use was the idea. And the tower block was kept. Grenfell Tower was kept in the design, but the design itself was greatly impacted by the Ronan Point explosion. So the lead architect for Grenfell Tower was uh, Clifford T. and Gale architect and man with the most British name ever, Nigel Whitbread. (laughs) Whose name is one letter away from being Nigel Whitebread. Whitebread. (laughs) Yes. You're, You're right about that. There could not be a more British name than that. Yeah, I I don't think there is a that man could, that man could only be British. Like, yes, like like if yes. your name was Chris Smith, you could be American, Canadian, yeah. you know, Norwegian. But this no, is, this is little Nigel Whitbread. He looks exactly like I thought he would look yeah. like. Yeah, I really mean, this does. is him elderly. This wasn't him back I, when I think he was born that way. <laughs> he was born an elderly <laughs> yes, man. Yes, I think he He's was. He's like Benjamin Button, but he got stuck. Right. He just yeah, it, it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> He was the rejected yeah. uh, Benjamin Button. Aww. He just stayed old. Poor little Nigel Whitbread. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. So he was... <laughs> He's got a full head of hair, though. I'll give it to him. Oh, yeah. So he he was the lead architect on Grenfell Tower. So Grenfell Tower was given two meters, which is about six and a half feet, of solid poured ca- concrete foundation. So nice big foundation underneath a fully below ground basement so it's the foundation was way down in the earth so about six meters or 20 feet underground there was this poured foundation then a basement and then above that were 24 floors so the first four stories would be non-residential and common areas and then 20 floors above that would be flats um living units council flats and uh, each story was, had an area of 5,120 square feet, which is about 476 square meters, for, and had a total of, uh, e- each floor had a total of six living units for a total of 120 living units. The one-bedroom apartments were 553 square feet, or 50, about 51 square meters, and the two-bedroom flats were 813 square feet, about 75 square meters. So... 
that's like pretty close to what we have. We have a smaller house, a smaller two bedroom mm-hmm. uh, town home. And so it was a little bit smaller than that. And that was kind of unusual because typical tower blocks at the time contained four flats per story. So they were really kind of trying to cram it in, right? Efficient use of space, I guess. And then the elevator, or lift, was located (laughs) in like a central core tower in the middle of everything. So the elevators were in the center, and then everything was built around that. And the building was designed in direct response to Ronin Point's collapse. So it was not built with the same, um, like, House of Cards style yeah, construction, how, like like how a child would build a building. It's, yes, it's kind of yes. how uh-huh. Ronan Point was put together. <laughs> exactly. So it was built much differently. So in that respect, that was good, right? Yeah. It, it so was we're off, built we're, after, we're off to a good start. We're, we're not off to a bad start. That's true. That's true. According to Whitbread, <laughs> little Nigel Whitbread, <laughs> who said this in 2016, which. I think he actually died in 16, if I'm not mistaken. So he actually didn't see what happened in his lifetime to to Grenfell. Good for him, but I don't know much about him. So he's, he's quoted as saying this in 2016. Quote, from what I could see, could last another hundred years. Oh. End quote. So he I, was like, this is a good building. I hope he didn't tweet that. <laughs> talk about talk about a tweet not aging so well. No, it's on the it's on um the Constantine Grah mm. uh, um blog because Constantine Grah interviewed Nigel Whitbread for that. Oh, before, really? Okay. Sure. Before this happened, this is like a year before it happened, and near to the end of his life. I think. I hope I'm not killing him off when he's really alive. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw that he died. Anyway, obviously that statement would be proven very very wrong. But let's keep going. So plans for phase one, the first part of the Lancaster West estate, was approved in 1970. So remember, plans were drawn up and done by 64. It took until 70 for them to actually get approved. This was a long process. And construction took place in phase one from 1972 to 1974 by contractors A.E. Symes. Now, Grenfell Tower was still made of precast concrete columns, slabs, and beams, but just not in the same. And I should have looked this up. Whatever the uh, the poured concrete style that it was in, there was like LPC or something like that. Anyway, I should have remembered this because that was only a week ago. But anyway, so the, the basic construction methods were a lot more sound than in Ronan Point. The tower block was located in the western part of Lancaster West Estate with three much shorter, longer housing units. They called them finger walks, I think, or something like that, in like a sort of trident shape just to its south and slightly west. And I do have pictures. Of, oh, it's on the other side of this. So this is like an aerial, and I'll put these up on Instagram and Facebook and everything. That's Grenfell Tower, and you see like these mm-hmm. three yep. fingers sort of, yeah. And that's it in real life. These are all houses. This is all residential. So these buildings, the the walk, the the longer finger walkways or whatever, were named Hurstway Walk, Testerton Walk, and Brandon Walk. (laughs) I almost said Brandon Walk, but it's Barandon Walk. Grenfell Tower opened in 1974, and a fair number of immigrants uh, began moving into the building, leading to its nickname, the Moroccan Tower. 
because a lot of immigrants of Morocco lived there. Why it was necessary to name it, nickname it, anything, I don't know. But um, So this is a picture of Grenfell Tower. I don't think it's exactly at the time, but it's it's before something else that we'll be discussing today happened to it. So anyway, that is Grenfell Tower. So now we're going to get a little bit into... Because this was completed in 1974. Obviously, 2017, still years away. <laughs> 43 years away, right? So some stuff happened in between there that I thought was really interesting. And because we're sort of tracing the history of public housing, and this this also very much comes into play in, in the story of Grenfell, I thought it was important to kind of talk about the evolution of council flats of public housing in, in the UK, especially because what started happening in the late 70s and into the 80s? I give you a hint of this already. Uh, who came into power in England around that time? Oh, that would be uh, one Margaret Thatcher. That's right. The Ronald Reagan. See, see, right now you have your own Donald Trump. <laughs> yes. And 40 years ago you had your own Ronald Reagan. Or we had our own Maggie Thatcher because she ah, was in power first. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yes, that's better. Yeah. For who? <laughs> Nobody. Yes. The demand for affordable housing certainly didn't cool during the 60s and 70s, regardless of what happened with Ronan Point. And further, some of the older council flats were starting to fall into disrepair. Because remember, a lot of them, or not even like the, the high rises and stuff, but remember those prefab bungalows and stuff that were only meant to last like well, they 10 were, years? They were temporary. Yes. It's like, well, people okay, are we'll put still this living up. in them. It's like, we'll put this up for now. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now, we'll scrap it and put some, and then the, but the people new, were still living. The in new them. thing never came. Exactly. Well, that and people were still living in these older because they still there still wasn't enough for everybody. So there were still people living in these prefabs. There actually is to this day, but that's a whole other thing. So in May of 1979, one Margaret Thatcher, the United Kingdom's first woman prime minister, unfortunately, <laughs> she was the best. The UK had to offer at the moment, I guess, <laughs> or at least the most popular somehow. She began her administration, which would last the entirety of the 1980s, ending in November of 1990. Thatcher was a member of the Conservative Party, and her system of governing, appropriately nicknamed Thatcherism, emphasized, see if this sounds familiar, free market capitalism, reducing government spending, and tax cuts. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah, what? yeah, what? yeah, yeah. So Reagan came, technically came after this, but he was just echoing everything that was going on in the UK too. So one of her policies intending to distance the UK government from welfareism and closer to capitalism was the 1980 right to buy scheme mm. included in the Housing Act of 1980. So right to buy policy, I apologize because we are going to get just a little bit in the weeds. Hang on in there for me because it's not often I get to talk about taxes in our episodes. And I, I'm, I really want to talk about taxes just a little bit. Um, so basically, the idea was that people currently renting council flats would be offered the opportunity to buy these flats at a hugely discounted rate based on the length of time they had already been living in them. Um, and we're talking like big discounts, like 33 to 50% discounts of market value. The Kind of the idea... Not such a bad strategy. I kind of see where this it's is the, going, but I, I'll, I also... Okay. Yeah. 
the the essential idea isn't terrible because no like you can see where they're coming from the idea being if you've lived in your flat for years you've been paying rent what's the number one complaint about um renting is that you're not gaining any equity well by giving these discounts they were essentially already paying in they had been paying into equity sort of um retroactively right, right? so so that was making their rent count for something basically Now, the right to buy policy was bolstered by a tax cut policy in 1983 called the Mortgage Interest Relief at Source, or MIRAS, which, from what I can tell, is basically like what you call a tax credit here in the United States. So, like, you get a break on your taxes based on the fact that you pay interest on your mortgage. Like, you can deduct it from your income. Mortgage interest is still deductible here in the States if you itemize, and now I'll stop giving tax advice. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, like most public policies, there were pros and cons to this idea of right to buy. On the plus side, the government was providing a subsidized path to home ownership for the economically disadvantaged, that, and that proved to be quite popular. It led to a significant increase in home ownership, which, as is a popular topic now, is the primary way for the middle class or those aspiring to the middle class to be able to build wealth through assets. Absolutely. Yes. That is, that that is, is your primary that asset. is the way. Yes, basically. That, that is exactly there's not, right. There's, not, there's very partly little. the way. It's, that is the way. There, there are, there, the middle class can also generally invest, but that is so insecure. Assets, like actual appreciating assets, which real estate... You know, the whole uh, buy land because God isn't building any more of it sort of a thing. Oh, yeah. That's that's really where wealth can be built up. And homes are incredibly important to that for most people, except for the top people, like wealth asset holders. And plus, bonus aside, a house makes you spend money on all sorts of different things. That's all true. Services sorts of, yes. and utilities and... Um, lawn landscapers and all sorts of shit cleaning people in some cases and uh, painters and decorators Mm -hmm. and yes exactly and and it has to be kept up so this this is a guarantee that's going to keep coming up over the years (laughs) some people like one of the one of the houses behind us don't do the greatest job of keeping up their house well and 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 that's a whole other the the other side flip side of home ownership for the most part it is a benefit to yourself if you keep up your house yes that's true that's true not only for your own living conditions if you if for your primary residence but for its future um worth equity yeah and that was uh (laughs) financial all bad finances (laughs) and all bad housing thrown on top of it So unfortunately, there were some very big downsides to the right to buy. So the most obvious is it took affordable accommodations off the market. These were no longer flats available to rent. And that aggravated the issue of a lack of affordable housing because new public housing was not being built at nearly the rate that these right to buy homes were being sold. Also because of the tax cuts. Well, there was less money for the government to build it. Exactly. Guys, just really quick rant, really quick. Be wary of anyone who promises tax cuts because even if they follow through and it happens, remember what our taxes actually do. They pay for services, not just for us, but for people in need. And if you want to be super selfish, yes, including you. You know, anyway, I'll stop. That's that's I'll, that was a short rant. Anyway, um, hmm. 
pay your taxes please pay your taxes that's all i'm saying and don't don't try to cheat on them either that's just a terrible idea okay so another issue was the actual value of these homes remember there's a difference between market value and actual value and these were generally temporary well not all of them were temporary houses some were um, but they were falling into disrepair so people were buying houses that had not been properly kept up so even if the market value was one thing, their actual value may not have been reflected in the market value. And the market is volatile. So the housing market is volatile, obviously. So it, it, that's, that's a whole, it, it, it wasn't necessarily the best investment in all cases. I wonder if that led to a worldwide economic housing crash in 2008. Well, hmm. not this alone. No, not this alone. <laughs> There's plenty I'm, of other things, yes. It certainly didn't help. No. And so some owners ended up significantly upside down on their equity, right? And especially when the value of their properties declined. Again, something that's never happened in the United States. Yeah. And of course, there were those who took advantage of the entire situation. Private, very predatory property companies, private developers, frequently approached people who had purchased their home through the right to buy and offered them cash to buy their home still at a discounted rate then they would once it was sold which you can't you you kind of can't fault people for wanting to sell their homes for cash no, i mean that's I, I get that i get that uh they're thinking they just won the lottery right they're yes like, Shit, yes yeah. they're like, but, but then once sold these private property companies made would flip them and rent them out in perpetuity, making it, it was a yeah. quote investment, but it was a highly predatory investment to be making, right? And unsurprisingly, one of the people who took advantage of this situation this way was a man named Charles Gao, who was the son of Ian Gao, the housing minister under Margaret Thatcher. Mm. So this was all in the family, which we're dealing with an awful lot of right now here in the US and the government too. So ultimately what the right to buy scheme did not do was solve the affordable housing crisis. It basically made it worse. And as for the Grenfell Tower itself, by the time of the fire in June 2017, 14 of the 120 flats were leaseholder owned. So they had been purchased under this right to buy scheme. Now in the summer, uh, so that's kind of what was happening during that period, right? Uh, and some of that changed and was switched around a little bit in the 90s and into the 2000s. But that's kind of the, the most important thing I wanted to hit on. So in the summer of 2010, after a series of town hearings, a plan was approved for further development of the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, or the RBKC. Part of this plan was to create the Kensington Academy and Leisure Center, which was a community rec center, right? Like, uh, or leisure center sounds so much better than rec center. And it would have like multiple sports and recreation facilities like soccer pitches, or, pardon me, football pitches, swimming pools, gyms, courts of various sport sport courts <laughs> and all that <laughs> and it would be located in a word leisure leisure and it would be located just to the east of grenfell tower a man must break his back to earn his day of leisure name that uh name that artist or that song honestly i have no idea it's from girl by the beatles it's a little bit of oh. an obscure song oh. anyway this is wait 
here. Here we go. This is where they were proposing to build it. So that's Grenfell with the finger mm-hmm. walkways. And then this was going to be all this area. Right behind the, uh, uh, right in front of the sports pitch in the car park. Well, they're building a, that, that was part of the development that they were planning. And the playground. Playground, sports pitch, car park, leisure center. Um, now, locals in the area weren't too happy with this. This had been all open green space. And people used it for various reasons. And so so they weren't super happy because they they were using this space, enjoying this space, and it was going to be developed, right? That's the whole other flip side of development is that you're losing green spaces, you're losing open spaces, you know, et cetera. So a group of citizens organized to create the Grenfell Action Group. And that, or did I say that right? Yes, Grenfell Action Group. Now, they're unfortunate acronym or whatever is gag but (laughs) (laughs) yes it is but uh anyway with a a spoon (laughs) gag me with a spoon (laughs) so they created grenville action group in direct response to this leisure center being planned and also just to protect their their goal was to protect the area from overdevelopment right the two founding members were Francis O'Connor of nearby neighborhood Verity Close. Well, it's Verity Close was a, a flat, I think, in the same area. Uh, and uh, and Ed Daffern, who was a resident of Grenfell Tower, who was still a resident on, in June of 2017. Wow. So, yeah. OK, we'll get we'll get back to him. Next episode. So in 2011, the Kensington and Chelsea Council asked the Kensington and Chelsea Tenant Management Organization, the TMO, which is basically like an HOA from what I can tell, except it's managed. So it's not like, um, I, I don't think it's like residents. It's a management. It's like the property managers is what I could tell anyway. Uh, they asked them, the council asked the TMO to look through the throughout the borough of Kensington and Chelsea to determine which of the council flat developments were in the most need of renovation or other upkeep. So they're like, OK, we're going to be doing this developing, making the leisure center and everything. Is there anything else we need to be doing in this project? Should we go ahead and and let's go ahead and, and identify the we all we know that all this public housing needs to be kept up, renovated, what's the neediest of all these houses, housing areas in this area? That was, I swear, whatever I just said sounded like word soup. I don't know why, because I went off script, that's why. And so they homed in pretty quickly. So this was borough-wide they were asking, and they homed in pretty quickly on the Lancaster West estate and more specifically, on Grenfell Tower. They said, hey, look, Grenfell needs some renovations. So the TMO looked into how much it would cost, and this is going to come into play so many times, to renovate the building, and they estimated about six million pounds. So they wanted about six million pounds of renovations. So in May 2012, both the development of the Leisure Center and the renovations of Grenfell Tower were approved as part of a larger revitalization project, and the Grenfell Tower renovations were allocated the six million pounds they were estimated to need. So they were like, okay, yes, we'll renovate Grenfell Tower, we'll we'll approve the six million pound budget. And the plans to renovate Grenfell Tower were presented in a plan called the Grenfell Tower Regeneration Project. So the plan was to increase the floor space on the lower entry levels, like open up the area to make it, quote, more welcoming 
So, I don't know, look nicer. They were also going to add additional flats to the fourth floor. So the, the first four floors were not used for residential initially, but they were going to convert the fourth floor to include flats. So they were going to add a few more flats to it was the idea. And another part of the plan, which will become incredibly pertinent, and we are going to say the word cladding a thousand and one times, was, quote, the complete overcladding of the exterior, end quote. Do you know what cladding is? I had to look it up. It's, uh, it came into play on our... Um minnesota bridge collapse do you remember what it was it's um you did the research for that one (laughs) i'm i know people can't see what i'm doing with my hands but it's (laughs) it's the the square things that go like in the corners they're made to set um anyway okay (laughs) at least in this corners yeah keep corners in their place like Like joints uh, yes well that's a joint oh whatever okay (laughs) well this is cladding Cladding in construction is basically a material that is put over the already existing outer construction of a building for a variety of purposes. So almost like a second skin. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and and the purposes can include... I do remember that being a huge issue with the okay. eventual gotcha. tragedy. Yes, this tragedy, mm-hmm. you mean yes, yes, absolutely. So it can provide architectur- architecturally artistic elements, but more practically, it can provide insulation and weatherproofing to the building. So it's like protecting the stone or concrete or brick or whatever of the actual building. The original plan called for uh, the Grenfeld renovations to include using zinc cladding. And I, if there are builders who listen to this, they must be like as excited about me. Ta- I was about talking about taxes. They're like, she's talking about building materials. She's talking about cladding. She's talking about zinc cladding. Yeah, and you can you can feel free to um, email us with all your corrections. <laughs> so zinc is advantageous to use as like a weatherproofing and insulation because it's highly weatherproof and resistant to corrosion. It's strong. As a plan for the tower block renovation moved forward, some budgetary concerns arose because we knew this was all going to come down to money, right? I mean, let's face it. The initial contractor proposed by the plan was a company they had used before uh, and contracted to called Leadbitter. Not Leadbetter. Leadbitter. So Leadbitter had proposed that the cost of the renovations, they were like, okay, let's really do a cost analysis of this. How much is it going to cost to do everything you want? And they were like, yeah, this is going to cost 11.3 million pounds, which is almost twice what they had allocated. So that started to slow down the whole process of (laughs) approval, which is already slow enough because we're talking bureaucracy, right? And the council was not too happy with the idea of having to double the budget. So the TML proposed, okay, look, maybe we can just increase it to 9.7 million. But here's the thing. Let's also add some renovations to this. So it's not like they were just going to increase the budget, like somehow to justify doing that. They were adding all these other things in there. Like, let's also do this and this when they really just needed to increase the budget. In general, so so yeah, that was uh, an issue. But in the summer of 2013, this new budget, including the extra stuff they were going to do as a result, was a- approved, accepted, and the plans were put forth to include these new renovations, as well as to bring the previously proposed renovations into line with the new budget. So 
they were originally approved for six million. It was still thought it was still estimated to cost over eleven million just for the original stuff. So they're just not helping any of it. But they were resolving to quote bring thing bring the budget in line or bring construction and plans within the budget. And that's never a good idea. That's called cutting corners. <laughs> and as anyone who has seen The Towering Inferno knows, because they use the term cutting corners like 27 times, it's not good. And this was its own Towering Inferno. I mean, it really was. It's just not as super tall as the building in The Towering Inferno. So in January 2014, so that budget was the summer of 2013. In January of 2014, a revised plan was finally approved at the new 9.7 million pound projected budget. Now, at this point, the plan was still to use zinc cladding. Part of the strategy to cut corners was to open up the project to bids from other contractors, since Leadbitter was basically saying, hey, to do this right, and this was again, even before they added the the other elements to this renovation project, it's going to cost you more than what you budgeted for. But in free market capitalism, the idea is that if you can outbid someone, you just might win yourself a job. As we've heard before, there are winners and there are losers in capitalism. And lead bid or lost, unfortunately, these 72 people would end up losing as a result too. So Additional bids were entertained, and the contract was eventually granted to Ryden Limited, a Sussex-based contractor, in March of 2014. They had put forth an 8.7 million pound bid, so they even undercut the budget. Again, underbid, right? That's the whole idea of uh, competition in a free market. Guys, free market capitalism kills. And this is going to be a story of free market capitalism killing. You said that, though. You did say that. Yes. You did absolutely say that. And you were correct. I was like, well, we'll see. But no, you were correct. You were absolutely correct. So they began instruction. Instruction. Construction. (laughs) Well, the instructions came with a construction. Yes, exactly. I hope anyway. Well, 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 maybe not. It was just a free form building. (laughs) You know, they just, it's like a free form tart. He's like, like, I've got like 10 clads. I'm just going (laughs) to put them here and there and wherever I feel like. So they began in 2014, June, June 2014. Within one month, by July, there were some major questions raised about Ryden could really deliver on the project within the given bid. As days after uh, the, like the, the questions were popping up in July, the TMO sent an email to consultants working on the Grenfell re- renovation suggesting, um, yeah, we got to cut some more corners because that's the right thing to do. Yeah, let's cut corners. One of those suggestions was to replace the zinc cladding with aluminum cladding at a projected savings of 293,368 pounds. This was taken on board for the renovations and the cladding was subcontracted to Harley Facades at a contract price of 2.6 million pounds, which was about a third of the total renovation budget. Now we're going to want to keep for next week that amount in mind because if we really want to know the cost of human lives to some people 
We've got a figure. It's that amount. Yeah. We've, 300,000 pounds. We've used those figures in several episodes. Uh, what is a life worth? We'll divide to, it. Uh, we'll come out with the final number. If you are the owner of the uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, a life is worth uh, literally, I believe their insurance paid out, uh, I think it was either 1000 or $10,000 per death. Yeah, I don't remember. That was a waste. I think back, it was maybe 1000 It's but, never... Well, and, first and of that's, all... And that's it, exactly how they're thinking about it in their mind. Like, oh... That's a thousand bucks. That it's that a works. cost benefit analysis, mm-hmm. and a cost benefit analysis can be done with anything. A cost benefit analysis completely, not only disregards but completely omits uh, humanity. Yes, absolutely. It never even absolutely never even comes, and it shouldn't, because you can't really generate the worth of a person's life. You really can't. Right. But these people can. Yeah. And they did. Then they get a price. Yeah. And like, oh, that's ten of them died. That's ten thousand dollars. What are the lawsuits? How do we? Yeah, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah, we'll still come out on top, like five grand. So it's a, it's all right. It, it's cheaper to kill them than to let them die than to. Yeah, yeah than to pay them. Yeah. Or and if, whatever. And if anybody thinks this is not a conversation that actually takes place, you're very naive because this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this aluminum cladding for a minute, because as far as we know right now. Okay, maybe aluminum is cheaper, but still just as good. Let's hope. Although I'm, it's I'm not sure going to be. You know that it's not <laughs> yes. going to be. So here, so aluminum composite. I, I see what they were going for. They're like, is there this material that is absolutely necessary that we can get for less of a price? Right. Yes, and it's less of a. Why? Why is it cheaper? Yeah. Is it cheaper just because it? Oh, it gets dings and nicks in it, you know, so it's not going to be as pretty it's after a while. because it's not as good. But does that mean anything for safety? Well, let's talk about that. So aluminum... <laughs> what? Safety? <laughs> oh, that that's regulation. Yeah. Leave the government out of it. Yeah. So aluminum composite panels, ACP is what they're called. Um, they're also called sandwich panels. That's another word for them. They have three layers. So two outer layers of thin aluminum sheeting, and then in the middle, a layer of non-aluminum lightweight insulation in between. A popular and very well-known example of architectural use of ACP cladding is the Epcot Center. The sphere? Oh, sure. You know all okay. those shiny bits, panels? It, it has been quite a while since I've seen it in person. But <laughs> so sure. that, I've that seen uses of it. ACP, aluminum composite that doesn't surprise panels, me. for architectural effect. You know one place that aluminum was probably coming from? Hmm. Messina, New York. Oh, that's right. Yeah, lots of aluminum at Alcoa and Reynolds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they merged at some point. I think Reynolds Bought, folded okay. and Alcoa. Oh, oh okay. And, uh, anyway. anyway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the insulation between the panels of aluminum can vary. Sometimes mineral wool is used, which is actually spun fi- molten rock or mineral fibers, which is very interesting. I, I don't. Buildings themselves that can <laughs> do the things that they can do are very interesting now that I'm working in one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy... Just looking at him, like, how do you plan for this? How is how is that possible? Yeah. There's literally at any given time, I'm literally looking at about a thousand pipes. Yeah, that go all sorts of different. Someone places. planned that and built that yep. and came up with them. It's amazing. Yeah. It really I is amazing. I, I'm I, with you. I cannot imagine it. I'm with you. I, I, my I, brain, my brain is never going there. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. As far as an understanding, right? <laughs> so that's a popular material, and it's it's generally. Well, anyway, let me get to this this next material. So that's not what they were getting. They were not going to use this mineral wool 
in the sandwich paneling, the ACP, that they were going to use at Grenfeld. They decided to use insulation inside these ACP of polyethylene. Do you know what polyethylene is? Uh, also came up, I want to say, in our very first episode. Oh, okay, yes. Uh-huh. I think with that's the, part the of what the foam, the, the foam soundproofing was coated with. Do you know what polyethylene is just basically? I don't, but I know that it's highly flammable. It's plastic. Oh. Roughly 30 or a third, a third or about 30%. so disgusting when it burns. Plast, pl- of plastic is polyethylene. Wow. Yeah. Yes. It is the most disgusting smell. It's when not it burns. only disgusting, it's highly flammable. Oh, that too. Yes. And highly toxic. And yes, and it's the most common plastic produced. So if it sounds less safe to have plastic inside these ACP instead of this um, mineral wool, it's because that's it because is. it is. Yes. So uh, as fire safety consultants, consultant Gordon Cook put it, quote, I only use the mineral wool ones because your gut tells you it is not right. To wrap a building in plastic. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> let's never buy a house that's wrapped in plastic. No. We ha- we had to uh, re-record that because uh, <laughs> dropped an f bomb. Dropped an f bomb. <laughs> but that's understandable because that's a. Uh, I-, I thought that was a really powerful quote. Yeah, and that was a really amazing quote. So this is ex- this is what they decided to use to save three hundred thousand pounds. Plastic. Plastic. Let's wrap this building in plastic. Like this fire safety guy said, it your gut tells you that's a terrible idea. Anytime, even the topic of plastic burning and what it smells like comes yeah. up, it immediately takes me back to the Eden Festival in oh, Toronto no. <laughs> in 1996 because so many people like burn their tents and stuff. Like, you can Ugh. just smell the plastic in the air. It And it's really... Not and pleasant. toxic, like you yes. said, yes. It's it's and not you can, good to inhale. You can just tell by how it smells that it's toxic. You're like, I shouldn't be breathing this in. No, no. Very bad idea. And, and now you live in a building where that's what's surrounding the building. Literally, yes. Quite literally. So leading up to and during the renovations at Grenfell and the construction of the Leisure Center, or Leisure Center, the Grenfell Action Group remained active and vocal. They're actually really inspiring. Their activism included writing letters to the council and the TMO regarding their concerns, as well as maintaining a blog, which is still up, still going strong. I really recommend it. I used it for a lot of information. It's at grenfellactiongroup.wordpress.com. No shame in using free hosting, especially when you're just a a scrappy little activism group that saw the writing on the wall the whole time. These people were right 100% of the time. It's amazing. It's still up, still has a ton of very interesting information on it. So anyway, in early 2013, the Grenfell Action Group raised fire safety concerns regarding Grenfell Tower, specifically the limited access for emergency vehicles, aside from a parking lot or car park, that was going to be eliminated in the Leisure Center project. So they're like, they're, and their full blog post is really good about it, where it shows how, like what limited area there really is for an emergency vehicle or any emergency vehicles to pull up to a high rise building. And then people park in there sometimes. Like, yeah, we didn't put that in the budget. <laughs> yeah. And then... <laughs> that emergency vehicles might need to show up at some point. And then there was a car park. There was a parking lot where 
emergency vehicles could have potentially parked, but they were going to get rid of it in order to build this leisure center. So they were just saying, what are you talking about? And they were they were raising these concerns. And then later that year, in 2013, they published a fire risk assessment that had been done the year before in 2012 by a TMO health and safety officer. And the report, and this is by uh, somebody from the TMO, they revealed that Grenville Tower was sorely lacking in proper maintenance to fire safety equipment that hadn't been inspected in four years. And I know for a fact that at least here in the US, like um, in public buildings, the fire extinguishers have to be tested once a year. At least yes. in this state. I mean, maybe that varies from state to state. But so four years, I mean, like that's where, where majorly I, behind. Where I work, they have to be tested once a month. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Higher higher risk areas, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, the fire extinguishers were all old and expired. All of them. To the point where some even had the word condemned written on them. I'm like these are fire just extinguisher. On a fire extinguisher. Like, can a you condemned imagine that? fire extinguisher. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Now you can use it as a blunt object if you want to. <laughs> yeah, that's but basically you, all it's but, good for. But you can't use it for what it's designed for. its for. purpose. No, yeah. you cannot use it for its design purpose. For their trouble of bringing up these concerns, what do you think the Kensington and Chelsea Council did to uh, Grenfell Action Group? I'm going to go with uh, nothing for $1,000. No, they accused them of defamatory behavior and harassment. That was my second guess. And they threatened to take legal action against Yeah, them. because they could. And Isn't that horrific? Well, it's because they completely can just Ignore force them. them out with money. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. okay, you want to go against us? Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you this much, which we know you don't have it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So once the renovations were underway in, in 2014... The Grenville Action Group became very worried about certain elements of construction. On August 20th, 2014, so this is not like just two months after construction began, the GAG wrote a concerned email to Ben Dewis, a fire safety team leader with the London Fire Brigade, saying, quote, A number of residents of Grenfell Tower are very concerned at the fact that the new improvement works to Grenfell Tower have turned our building into a fire trap. End quote. Again, they are the canary in the coal mine. Like, they see that things are not going well. And this is just during the construction, let alone... By the way, in just about every fire we have covered, mm-hmm. there is always at least... It seems like there's always at least one person that's like, eh, mm. like, we shouldn't be doing it this way. Like, is this a good idea? Yeah. In every fire we've done. I, I'm, I'm pretty not, sure. I'm not quite getting the same impression as you. Like, I'm trying to think, going back to, like, the station nightclub fire. I mm-hmm. mean, who who was saying that that was... Well, you couldn't... You weren't supposed to put up the foam that caused the fire. Well, those and... are safety regulations. Yeah. That's different. Sure. Like, these were people who... That's Demetrius trying to get... <laughs> and it's almost dinner time. Um... Uh, safety regulations but, are one thing. This is I'm a just, group that is clearly seeing so. it the whole time. What I'm saying is there always seems to be a person or persons that foresees a fire coming. And then literally... Nobody like saw a, it in, in station, though. That's not... Except for that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, fair enough. Give me, like, some of the other ones. I, I, triangle shirtwaist? Yes. Who, who... Well, all the, all the fabric and stuff all, all over the floor. No, but people. What, what people were bringing up these... Oh, my God. Don't, n- never mind. Okay. <laughs> I just think we're thinking of it from different angles. So yes, anyway. Okay. 
So the renovations to Grenfell continued, though there were the usual delays that befall most construction projects, that's obvious, it happens, but they were finally completed in 2016. In June 2016, an independent fire safety assessor discovered and reported 40 serious fire safety concerns regarding Grenfell Tower, recommending immediate action be taken. And and keep in mind, these were the improvements. This was, yeah, this was after most of the construction was done, yes. Uh, I forget what month the the renovations were completed. This was in the summer, so it's possible they were still finishing up. I, I did not note that. But obviously none of these recommendations were taken, so no action was taken. Tenants raised complaints about exposed gas pipes and the fact that the building had no sprinklers. Mm. Now, to be fair, this is typical of most tower blocks in the UK. They were not required by code at the time. That doesn't mean it's good, but it doesn't mean it's it's failing regulations. It's that the regulations are failing the residents, (laughs) basically. In November, the Kensington and Chelsea TMO was cited by the London Fire and Emergency Planning Authority for several fire safety violations. But again, no action was taken. So it because wasn't just the GAG. Just no, it was, yeah. Just nobody being held accountable. That's, or ca- I mean, and caring enough. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh, whatever. It's not like a fire is going to happen. So throughout this entire time, the GAG also continued to warn of fire safety concerns at Grenfell. In November of 2016, they stated that, quote, only a catastrophic event will expose the ineptitude and incompetence, end quote, meaning of the Kensington and Chelsea TMO. Here, what do I have? Oh, I guess this is... um, I don't know why I printed this, but anyway, it's a, a picture of the whole area. Whatever. Anyway, we've got one more one more facet of this story to sure. to cover before we end this week's episode, and we'll we'll get to the the really horrible part next week. There's a parallel story that needs to be told to all of this, uh, and this is where things are going to get super infuriating and political and criminal and everything else. So in 2004. The Kensington Chelsea Kensington and Chelsea Council approved a plan. Sorry, my foot was falling asleep. <laughs> to renovate empty basement living spaces at Elm Park, sorry, Elm Park Gardens, which was a, a housing development, a public housing development in Chelsea. In 2009, three of these spaces were put up for sale and sold like that. They sold very quickly. Four more were sold a couple years later, in June 2011, and another 11 were put up for sale that September. So this was a strategy by the council, by the local government, to raise funds for the local government through basically flipping government-owned residential property. And it is pretty widespread in the UK. According to the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, since 2014, quote, more than 12,000 public spaces have been sold by councils in England, generating nine billion pounds of revenue. Well, that's why they're doing it. Yes. Now, here's where it gets much worse. When the plans were being approved for the Leisure Center <laughs> at, and Grenfell, Re- Grenfell renovations, the council said that due to legal restrictions, these renovations had to be paid for using only rental income from the local housing authority. 
That is not what happened. The council's own paper trail showed that most of the renovation was funded by using money from the sale of those Elm Park garden basement units. Yeah, because they're like, in their mind, they're thinking nobody's going to look anyway. Well, no, here's the thing. This was not against the law. It was okay for them to do that. There okay. were, there were, they said it's there the, was a problem. Right, okay. It, that was not the, the case. Pre- the preferred method would have been to... No, no, it doesn't matter how okay. they do it. This was the problem. It was not against the law for them to use those proceeds. But they said it was. But then they used the proceeds anyway. So apparently, in the following years, the council claims that they thought at the time they could only use rent. But then they went ahead and used the proceeds anyway. So basically, they thought they were committing a crime. Like, what other logic is there? They were saying... Oh, we can only use rent proceeds, but then they knew they were using sale proceeds. So they thought they were doing something devious. Turns out they weren't. So they are they were like wannabe criminals. Like they were trying to do something shady, but it turns out it was legal anyway. So basically that's a big ding on their character. But like why would they want people to think that they could only use rent and couldn't use proceeds well the answer is apparently the council was making more than what was needed to renovate grenfell like way more as in they made 129 million pounds selling property in the years leading up to the 2017 fire so during the development phase of the renovation all they were asking for was what 11.2 million so during the re- the development phase of the renovations when they were arguing over like oh we need to keep cut like costs down when they decided to cut $300,000 of cladding out of the budget they were sitting on 129 million yeah it was literally like throwing away a nickel like oh i they found one on, on the floor they were making money hand over fist not only that not only were they bringing in money they were spending money on investing in this stuff to the tune of 60 million dollars sorry pounds buying up property to invest in so what they should have been doing was putting this money into making sure all these projects especially the grenfell renovation were being done correctly instead they were Becoming essentially a private business. Instead. Engaging in private business. They just didn't really care. They were. Who to thunk it. They were creating a private profit making endeavor when they should have been fulfilling their function as a government arm meant to provide affordable housing to citizens. And they were failing repeatedly and not caring repeatedly and trying to lie and cover their tracks even though they weren't doing anything illegal. Whilst making money. Whilst making money. Exactly. That's what they were. They, they became a profit center. And that's not even it. That's not even all of it. For the 2013 to 2014 fiscal year leading up to the beginning of the Grenfell renovations, the council had underspent their annual budget by 31 million pounds. They literally had it in their couch cushions at this point. And they had 267 million pounds in unallocated reserves, mean money that meaning money that they were just sitting on. This was even independent of all the other stuff. 
they were literally sitting on mounds and mounds and mounds of cash. And while they were engaging in this little property development money property development money making scheme, they were ignoring time and time again the warnings constantly from the the GAG, from the actual London fire safety people that Grenfell Tower was not being adequately renovated, that it was a danger, that it could hurt people in the future, completely closing their ears to the residents who acted as canaries in the coal mine of what would soon become a national tragedy. And that, my friends, is where we'll stop because it's getting too infuriating already. Yeah, what happens next is most people know well and now we know why it happened we know Mm -hmm. what caused it this this is this definitely falls under a disaster heading because it's not like somebody committed arson but correct yeah this is not a crime but it's criminal it is what happened (laughs) leading up to it is yeah it's they they were that's why i can't that's why i can't do true crime i know i mean i just i i'd rather have horrible things happen randomly which is what we cover yeah. You know. I mean, randomly on uh, uh there were so many signs and so much warning and and it was to save money. It was all to save money. And it's oh, this is going to be so sad cuz next week we're going to actually talk about what happened as a direct result of these people being so horrible and literally just wanting money, 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 money. Can I tell you guys, as a financial professional, money is the worst thing in the world for human beings. It's just terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Terrible. I just needed slight levity. <laughs> I don't know. This is not going to be a fun topic. There, no, there no, are no not. fun disasters, there are no. Yeah. but... Like no, we've, we've had a couple of fun ones. Like the a ba- couple the funny base, ones. The baseball yeah. riots. Those yeah. are always fun. Maybe I need to, Ten uh, cent beer night and all need to come up with a new baseball Disco riot. Disco night. <laughs> There's like 50 more that I haven't even <laughs> come close to covering yet. Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, but this is just... This is so sick. It is. What happened to these people because of other because terrible of money. people. Yeah. yeah. Because of essentially $250,000. No, it was to, to, well to change the cladding. I mean, it's about it's about half a million in our money. Okay, all right. Yeah, the well, pound's stronger than the dollar. Two two hundred fifty <laughs> pounds. Two hundred fifty thousand pounds. No, three hundred thousand pounds. Whatever. <laughs> a lot of money. A lot of money to people like us. But, but no, to people like these people, it's, it's literally of millions. It's literally it was enough. It's it's a drop in the bucket. It's, they it's, had enough. Yeah. It's if you gave a, a dollar to somebody, right? You wouldn't even think twice about getting it back. You know, that's. And instead, they were like pretending that they they were they were like my grandmother, who's like convinced she doesn't have money when she's fine. It's so sad. So anyway, that was part one of Grenfell Tower, the Grenfell Tower fire. We will get into. Parts two. The fire. Maybe three. three. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. Yes. Yeah. Next week. So, yeah. Yeah. Brace for impact. <laughs> yeah. So that was the Grenfell Tower fire. First part, part. one. Mm-hmm. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.